1: Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode 761 of the Packaday podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. And I'm incredibly excited to introduce my guest today and moving forward every other week. He is the one and only Ben Fennell. He is the producer for ESPN College Football as well as NFL Network. Ben, welcome officially to the Pack A podcast. I know you have been on about, I want to say, three or four times in the past, but now it is officially official that you are on the team. So welcome and uh, incredibly excited to be doing this with you once every other week.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I know I've done a couple cameos in the past, but pretty excited to be a uh, recurring regular guest on the rundown. So every other week, really excited to chat with you.
1: Yeah. And what better way, you know, what better time, I guess, to get started than, you know, we're in the middle of training camp, uh, the season kicks off in three weeks. We're going to have a ton to dive into, but I, I want to kick things off right away uh, with Kenny Clark's extension. I know this has been a player that you have been incredibly high on over the course of the past few seasons for obvious reasons. Uh, the the Packers signed him to a four-year, $70 million extension. Uh, he will be ages 25 through 29 through the life of this extension, which is really great for both sides when you think of it. Obviously, Green Bay gets him through the prime of his career, whereas Kenny Clark sets himself up for a potential third contract after his age 29 season. Uh, For me, Ben, he was my highest graded defender in 2017. In 2018, and my second highest graded defender last year, only because Zedarius went all Zedarius last year. But tell me what your thoughts were when you saw this contract come through.
2: Well, super excited for Kenny Clark. And I think he hit all of my six points of emphasis for major money signings. And that's being homegrown, being young, Being productive, an ascending player, a two-way player. You can't just be productive in one phase of the game. And then just being a good model citizen off the field. Those are my kind of six pillars of dishing out major money. And I feel like he checked each of those boxes and then some. I thought that was an easy decision. It's just great to see a, a young player that's getting better and better each year in both phases of the game. The interesting thing is really the more of the conversation outside the building and outside the circles and people questioning if you should give that to a nose tackle in 2020. And why don't we see a player like that on the top 100 if he's worth this type of cash? And it's more of dealing with all those outside narratives and conversations. But anybody that faces Kenny Clark and the people in that building know he's worth every dollar.
1: Yeah. A player who did not meet many uh, of your criteria was Earl Thomas, which is another discussion for another day. Uh, But no, I'm right there with you, Ben. I I thought this was a tremendous signing. I think it says something from an organizational standpoint when you have uh, obviously a David Bakhtiari and Aaron Jones and Kevin King and Corey Lindsley all coming up as free agents and Kenny Clark, was their one A on their list to get done? He's the first one of the five to get that extension, and I'm right with you for obvious reasons. The fact that he is as young as he is, as dominant as he is, that he affects the game in multiple ways. He's done it season after season after season. He continues to get better, and again, you get him for really the the rest of his prime of his career, ages 25 through 29. To me, this was a no-brainer. I, you know, you can say you know highest-paid nose tackle, and he wasn't on the top 100 and things like that. But when you just, you know, for you know, play, you know, people like you who, you know, dive into the tape as extensively as you do, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of time to, to look at it and realize just how much of an impact that he's making.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just kind of answering those questions on, you know, well, why is he worth that? Why don't you see that type of love you know, in the, uh, in the fan circles. And I have a couple reasons if they make sense, but you know, he's not on anybody's fantasy teams. He's not dominating the sports center highlights on Sundays and Mondays. Typically he has to do a lot of, you know, run plugging and dirty work. A lot of in that scheme, you want to keep the linebackers free, not a sexy position, but he does his job extremely well. And that top 100 list just does not give enough credit to some of those trench players. Akeem Hicks, another guy in our division, dominant player. There are only three guards in one center on the entire list. So there seems to be a little lack of appreciation for those trench players that aren't dominating your fantasy teams and the highlights. But there's other nose tackle run pluggers in the league, like DJ Reeder taking a big contract. Michael Brockers is a nice player. We've seen Snacks Harrison and Linval Joseph in the division. But Kenny Clark's better than all of them. He's that much better of a pass rusher in combination with his ability to stop the run. I mean, he led all interior defensive tackles with run stops while also having the third most pressures. Now, he's not playing the same position as Fletcher Cox or Aaron Donald or Chris Jones. Those are more through and through three techniques. But for what he can do as a no shade while also playing a couple other positions, very, very impressive. It's tough to find somebody that does what Kenny Clark does in the NFL these days.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure about you. But for me, you know, we could probably dedicate a whole uh, podcast to, to Blake Martinez over the course of the last couple of seasons. But for me, when Blake Martinez was going well, it was because Kenny Clark was going incredibly well in front of him and doing so much of that dirty work and really kind of cleaning up some of those alleys for Blake Martinez and really allowed, you know, not only him, but some of those linebackers to be able to make some of those plays. I'm hopeful that with Christian Kirksey, it won't be so you know reliant on Kenny Clark and maybe the defensive lineman. But when Kenny Clark was doing work, I think it made actually Blake Martinez a lot of money this offseason.
2: Yeah, absolutely. The Blake Martinez conversation could uh, obviously be be done at nauseam between me and you. (laughs)
1: So uh, so let's stay within the interior defensive line because this has been a position that has been a question mark for the Packers this entire offseason. I've made no bones about it. I thought going into this offseason, uh, the defensive line was 1A on my list that I thought the Packers needed to attack. They obviously didn't. Uh, they really stayed status quo other than picking up Trayvon Hester on a minimum veteran deal. Uh, they basically go Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, Tyler Lancaster, Kingsley Kiki, Montravius Adams, Trayvon Hester, and Willington Pavilion uh, as their, you know, key de- you know, interior defensive linemen. Not only key, those are their only interior defensive linemen. We probably should mention Rashawn Gary and Zedarius Smith because we know that they're going to line up in- on the interior at some point as well. But what are your thoughts on the interior defensive line group and what are you hoping for outside probably of Kenny Clark who we know what we're going to get there?
2: Well, it's not the the deepest group, and I don't think there's any secret there. It's a little unproven, but I think they're going through a little bit of a philosophical kind of identity crisis with some of their bodies, especially those trench players you listed. We all know it's a sub-package NFL. They're going to go to nickel and dime and play a lot of that front four. But you're still going to have a lot of two defensive tackles on the field. But I think the identity crisis right now is, do you want to be tough and stout, or do you want to be explosive and disruptive? And I think a lot of the guys they have, the Kenny Clark pedigree growing up, Dean Lowry, Tyler Lancaster, these are all more of the stout, powerful guys. And I think they want to get a little bit more disruptive, a little bit more explosive between the tackles. And you can do that, obviously, by putting some smaller, more fleet of foot guys inside like Zedarius and Rashawn Gary. But I'm looking at guys like a Kingsley Kiki that I think has more of a skill set for today's NFL and be able to get up the field while still being a good run defender, but be a little bit more disruptive in his every down play. I like Dean Lowry, but he is what he is. He's kind of a stout early down run plugger that's going to play with good effort. Tyler Lancaster, same kind of thing. But I think Kiki is really the guy I'm looking at to take that major jump from year one to year two, maybe even leapfrogging over Montrevis Adams on the uh, the pecking order and really being more of a disruptive presence uh between the tackles
1: yeah i'm right there with you and for me how I kind of said it last year is I thought the Packers didn't always do a good job of kind of eating their vegetables on early downs I thought teams did such a great job of getting in short down and distances second and short third and short which really limited what the Packers were able to do with some of Mike Patton's blitz packages or not even needing that just being able to get you know Preston and Zedarius and Kenny and whoever else you wanted as that fourth person and just allow those guys to go hunt the quarterback when they were able to do that and get in third and longs their defense was incredibly successful but it just felt like they weren't, you know, doing a lot of the dirty work on early downs, at least not to an effective level to get in some of those second and third and long situations. And for me, I really want to see, you know, from the Dean Lowers, the Tyler Lancasters, the Montrevious Adams, maybe even Kingsley Kiki to an extent, I almost want to see those guys be a little bit more specialized to the point where. I'm not sure I care so much if those guys get a ton of pressure from a, a, pass rush standpoint. I just want to make sure that those guys can stop the run on early downs and be successful in that regard. So you don't have a repeat of what happened in San Francisco and it really against the chargers and Eagles really in all four losses last year where they simply couldn't stop the run. If those guys can figure out a way to do that, I, I'm confident that, you know, really that Kenny and Kiki and Rashawn and Zedarius and Preston and their entire pressure package can get home when they need to. I just want to see a, uh, a better effort and a better skill set on first and
2: second down. You know that's a really good point there and I guess what I'm saying in a sense is maybe having more through and through two-way players because when you see Lancaster out there you see Dean Lowry out there you know they're kind of run defenders. It was just too easy for teams to come at them with early down play action knowing they aren't flying up the field at you and maybe taking their shots before you get into that third and medium, third and long, where you know Mike Patton is going to send all sorts of creative blitzes and have defensive backs on the field. I think it was just too easy to figure out what the personnel was on the field for the Packers. Oh, you're dime on first down? Great, we're going to run it at you. Oh, you're heavy on first down? Great, we're going to play action and take some shots over the top. So I think finding more guys that are just comfortable in both phases can also help that kind of you know getting caught in maybe – unfavorable down in distances or maybe getting caught with too many specialized players on the field.
1: Yeah, and to your point, I think that's where Kingsley Kiki can hopefully come in and be a little bit more of a two-way player, have some of that explosiveness as a rusher, can penetrate a little bit better, uh, but also hold up at the point of attack. He was actually one of the few, and it was later in the game, but a few that actually was able to make a couple run stops on San Francisco in the championship game a season ago. Uh, that and part was- of
2: that, Andy, like, also bleeds into the linebacking core. I mean, when we, when we had Antonio Morrison on the field, you know what that personnel is. When we had B.J. Goodson, you know what that personnel is. They're downhill, run pluggers, and all of a sudden, sheesh, let's see if we get B.J. Goodson going backwards and catch them with a heavy defense having to guard the pass. And I just think there's too many bodies on that defense that gave away what their intent was.
1: Well, that's probably a great point to transition to the inside linebacker group. For me, Christian Kirksey has been one of the standouts in camp so far, not exactly making spectacular plays, but making the plays that you would expect, filling the right gaps, uh, making great reads across the, the the middle of the field. And really on some of those crossing routes, which I thought was something that Blake Martinez struggled with at times, and really all the inside linebackers, Antonio Morrison, et cetera. Um, but really, you can just tell that he's very comfortable within Mike Petton's defense uh, is really and has really come as advertised. So far, uh, but really, that the other spot that's really up for grabs, you know, seems to be whether it's between Kamal Martin or in Burks, maybe Ty Summers. Um, they need somebody to step up there. Hopefully, Kirksey can again be as advertised. But that's another position, as you're mentioning, they need a little bit more of two-way players and players who can not only you know be impactful against the run, but you know hold up against the pass as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And just for Packers fans, my number one point on what's different, what are we getting different with Christian Kirksey that we didn't get with Blake Martinez? And when I put on those heyday years of the Browns, uh, you know, maybe a little bit before the past two years where he had some injuries, his ability to fight off blocks, whether tackles, guards, fullbacks, the ability to play with his hands, fight for himself, fight for his own space. Is something we really haven't seen on that Packers inside linebacking core since a you know an AJ Hawk style of player, which fans seem to be very lukewarm on you know that t- that style of player. But I was a huge AJ Hawk fan. His toughness was infectious. His reliability was infectious and very dependable. I can roll with an A.J. Hawk, and I think we're getting a little bit more of an athletic A.J. Hawk version with Christian Kirksey. I love his ability to fight for himself, get off blocks, and maybe that allows the defensive line, like I'm saying, to penetrate a little bit more, maybe get up the field, not have to be a stout line of scrimmage dweller to keep that second level free.
1: Yeah, I don't know about you, but for I'll be uh, totally transparent. First of all, I think inside linebacker might be uh, my worst position in evaluating when it comes to draft time. But uh, the two of the things that I look for first at inside linebacker, and, and this is one of the things that I've learned because this is where I've got burned in the past, is instincts, number one, and two, the ability to, to stack and shed blocks like that. And when you see a linebacker who has the ability to do that, it really gives them an advantage because, uh, again, uh, this is, I did not mean this to be a Blake Martinez uh, you know, bash fest here. But I really felt like he struggled in those situations where he did get one-on-one with blocks and struggled to shed in those type of situations.
2: Yeah. I mean, you have to take that mindset into projecting and scouting, you know, at a college as well. That's really where a lot of it starts because I remember years back, Stefan Anthony, the Clemson Tigers first round pick to the Saints. I put on his tape and I just want to watch his highlights right away. Free access to all these ball carriers and just blasting running backs. And that doesn't impress me. And all of a sudden I say, well, who's creating these alleys? Some guy named Grady Jarrett up front, you know, stacking double teams and keeping the linebacker free. A couple of years later, Stefan Anthony's out of the league, and Grady Jarrett's one of the best defensive tackles. So those splash plays you see from college where they're just free from point A to point B and blasting running backs, somebody's creating that alley. And I think you have to really put together the full equation on how they're making those plays.
1: It's so funny that you say that, because Stefan Anthony is my one a on lessons learned of not allowing uh, linebackers with just great athleticism uh, without instincts and the ability to shed blocks. He was literally my my you know coaching point, I guess, if you will, uh, in that regards. but hey,
2: we live and learn with all those types of case studies and examples, and that's how we become better scouts and become better with our eyes on Sundays and going back to Saturdays is learning from those past case studies.
1: We very, very much do. Uh, Let's jump over, though, to Kamal Martin, Oren Burks, Ty Summers. Um, You know, it's probably a great time to talk about Martin and Burks because both of them had really nice practices today. I think you can make an argument, actually, that Martin might be – uh, the, the the rookie that's performed best so far. Um, I think A.J. Dillon could maybe make a case. I think Josiah DeGuarra could maybe make a case. Even Stanford Samuels has played pretty darn well as an undrafted free agent. But I think you can make actually a case that Martin might be the leader in the clubhouse so far. Um, Oren Burks and him both had nice days today Uh, there were back-to-back toss plays one right one left where Burks read them both perfectly got sideline to sideline and made the quote-unquote stop obviously wasn't live tackling at the time Um, also made another stop over the middle a little bit later in team drills and then Kamal Martin um, actually they actually had live tackling with the younger guys at the very end very last session of camp there's the first one so far that they did live tackling and Kamal Martin just shot a gap and I don't know which running back I want to say maybe it was Damari Crockett, but just shot through and tackled him for like a three or four yard loss with a really nice pop. Both of those guys made an impact today. Uh, obviously, Green Bay needs somebody to step up there. Do you have kind of a, a player just through kind of watching some of their college tape or maybe Burks over the course of the last couple of seasons that you're hoping is going to be able to step into that role?
2: You know, that's a good question, and they're both very interesting studies because neither of them were really through and through off-ball linebackers to start their college careers. Burks being a safety coming down, and Kamal Martin really started as an edge at Minnesota and then backing up to that off-ball and sometimes even playing out into the slot there. And I think they each have really interesting skill sets. I thought Oren Burks was going to carve out that nickel Joe Thomas role where he's really the only linebacker that comes on the field, clearly more athletic, better foot speed, not to be worried about defending the run on those third and mediums and third and longs. But now I'm not so sure that Christian Kirksey is ever going to come off the field. And that leaves a couple odd men out that I think Kamal Martin may take that heavier run-plugging B.J. Goodson role when they need to go two linebackers. And I'm not really sure where Oren Burks fits into this. He's obviously a special teams prowess and a special teams captain, but at some point you need to show something on the defensive side of the ball and really carve out a role on the defense. And that's just what I'm concerned about. A couple guys, you know, Josh Jackson, there's some other guys that's out there kind of floating aimlessly on the roster. I just need to see them carve out a through and through role and then embrace that position.
1: Yeah. There's a few from that 20, what, 18 draft class. Uh, that uh, it's a kind of a make or break year, uh, whether it's Josh Jackson, Oren Burks, EQ, MBS, uh, that entire group has a lot to prove both on offense and defense. It'll be an interesting year for, for a few of those guys. And to your point as well, um, I, I still think Raven Green's going to be heavily involved in some of those you know, linebacker positions on nickel and dime uh, and in obvious passing downs, which would open up more of that run-stopping uh, linebacker role, which Antonio Morrison had, which I think does lend itself a little bit more to Kamal Martin potentially filling that spot
2: you know Raven Green what a player he was when he was down in the box playing that dime linebacker role not only you know being tough in the run when they want to send some big bodies at him but the ability to just to cover those crossing routes maybe the running back out of the backfield bump a tight end before he gets out really underrated player before he got dinged up
1: yeah, I'm hoping he can stay healthy this year. Uh, we touched base just a little bit on Rashawn Gary earlier. Potentially, you know, being able to play inside a little bit. Obviously, he's going to, you know, probably play more on the edge this year as well. What are your expectations going into this season? I, I have an analogy, a really bad analogy that I used in an article, I think, just yesterday that I'll get to in a second. But um, I'll let you go first.
2: Well, just to paint the full picture here. He wasn't really needed last year. The level of play of Preston and Zadarius Smith was really an advantage to the young guys and the back-end roster guys that they didn't demand production from those first-round picks that maybe fans want that production of. They didn't need it, and they didn't ask for it. But we need to look at what Kyler, Kyler Fackrell was asked to do, how much he played. Now that he's no longer on the team, Rashawn Gary is going to take over that role. So he played about 600 snaps in 2018, close to 60%. Last year, a little bit down at 467 snaps, about 40%. So Rashawn Gary only played 256 snaps. So he's going to be playing another two, 300 snaps, probably right around that 50% uh, threshold there. And it's okay. There's been a lot of slow developers at edge in the NFL, whether it's Bud Dupree, first round pick, Brandon Graham, Jerry Hughes, Demarcus Lawrence was a second round pick. Everson Griffin, fourth round pick, five star at USC. was never really the player he's become until later in his career. It's the expectations that fans have now after seeing young Von Millers dominate right away and the Bosa brothers. And there's some guys out there that create these unreal expectations for these young players to come in and the guys that don't, don't produce that's okay he's young they have time and he has some god-given abilities he wakes up every morning with to use out on that field and there's just in 2020 I just want to see less finesse from a guy like Rashawn Gary and I talked with Jerry Montgomery a little bit off the record last year on things he needs to work on and how can he be a more productive player at the end of the day stop running around people we just want to see more power rushes more going from point A to point B, use that God-given 4-6 speed at 270 pounds to hustle, to play in pursuit, to play with effort, to chase plays from the backside. And they know they're going to move this guy around, whether standing up in the A-gap, three-tech, off the edge, incorporate him with twists and games and stunts. And it's really just cleaning up all the, the technique and the details in his game, like not getting caught behind the quarterback on his speed rushes. seemed like everything negative from his game last year happened when he wanted to run around people. And I think as he gets a little tougher, a little stronger, a little more explosive with his brute strength and ready just to go through offensive tackles, I think we're going to see a lot more production from Rashawn Gary.
1: Yeah, what better player to learn from of not just trying to go around people than Zadarius Smith, who makes a living being able to meet you know beat offensive linemen in a variety of different ways with his hands, with his strength. Uh, with and and the, the
2: number of pressures he had last year—I mean, how many of those <laughs> were speed rushes from Zadarius Smith? I'm not, i can't even think of maybe one off the top of my head where it's like, oh, he got a good jump, he ran right around that tackle. I'm not sure he had any speed rushes that made his highlight reel from 2019.
1: Yeah, none None come to my mind off the top of my head. I think
2: Preston did with a couple of good jumps sure. off the snap, but I can't think of any from Zadarius.
1: And the thing is, is he is so good with his hands. Like he, he probably doesn't even look necessarily to do it because he's so dominant in that regards. But yeah, he, he obviously can learn from Z. My, my super lame uh, matrix analogy for Rashawn Gary is when Neo or, you know, went to the Oracle to find out if he's the one and she, le- you know, he leaves and she basically says, you've got the gift, but you're waiting for something. Maybe your your next life. I don't know what. So basically telling him you've got all the gifts in the world, but something, you know, you're waiting for something. What are you waiting for? And that, that, to me, is kind of it with Rashawn Gary. Like he, as you mentioned, the God-given ability is through the roof. The athleticism, the talent, his work ethic is again, by all accounts, maybe the the best on the team. Yeah, you know, he he has all of that stuff, the intangibles, everything. But the results haven't been there yet. And I know last year, going back to just last year in uh, 2019, as you mentioned, the, the results didn't have a, a ton of opportunity to be there. They weren't expecting much from him. He was fourth in the pecking order. Z and Preston weren't coming off the field. I think they wanted to get him to learn that edge rusher position and not move him around a ton. So, but you know, even in practice, You know, Granted, he's going against David Bakhtiari quite a bit, which is not no easy task, but you look at the guy and you see what he's able to do and there's times like today, he had a one-on-one with, I believe it was Robert Tanyan. It was Robert Tanyan and uh, Tanyan did a great job blocking him and it actually produced uh, a shot play down the field, which was complete. Um, But again, you want to see Rashawn Gary versus Robert Tanyan and with his ability, you just want to see that be, you know, Tanyan's not even an issue. He just gets by him with ease. And I know these are NFL players and no disrespect to Robert Tanyan, but it just seems like it hasn't totally clicked and those results. Maybe haven't come yet. I'm so excited to see what he's going to do this year. I do think the Packers have a great plan on how to use him this year, uh, but um, I'm I'm hopeful for more results because everything else is there.
2: Yeah. And just to go back for a second, I'm not entirely sure he became a better football player at the university of Michigan. When you go back and watch some of his tape from Paramus Catholic in New Jersey, He was kind of the same player he was when he came out as a junior at Michigan. And sometimes schools get so excited to get that number one player in the country, so excited to get their hands on him and just get him into the lineup because he has a lot of just God-given traits. I'm not sure he really worked on the details in Don Brown's defense. And when you look at some other guys coming out of that same position from that same program like a Taco Charlton, Who has had trouble really finding his way in the NFL, which I think Rashawn Gary has a lot more tools and upside than a Taco Charlton. You just don't really see that development through Michigan. And then when they get to the NFL, they're not producing right away. So I think we really may see more of a jump from year one to year two than we've ever seen from Rashawn Gary since high school. And I just think sometimes that number one player in the country comes with a little bit of a We're excited to get him. He's a finished product. Where can we use him rather than still developing that young player?
1: That's a fantastic point. And not only does he have Z and Preston to learn from, but Mike Smith is a very uh, renowned outside linebacker and edge rush coach as well. So they're going to get everything out of them they can. And this will be a really interesting season for Rashawn Gary. Let's jump over to the other side of the football and talk some offense. I know one of the things that you've brought up is the depth along the offensive line. Rick Wagner's already had some issues with injury. Um, They've got David Bakhtiari and potentially Billy Turner who can play some tackle. And then, you know, you want to talk about depth. If anything happens to those, you know, top three guys, Alex Light, which, you know, he showed last year, at least last year was not up to the task, which is why they had to bring in, uh, you know, who, why can't I remember his name all of a sudden? Help me out. Veldier, Valdir, thank you. Brought in Valdir because Alex Light uh, was not able to hold up a season ago. Yash Nijman is currently on the pup list. And then you've got three guys, John LaGlue, Cody Conway, who are, you know, maybe could work some tackle, but they're way down on the depth chart. Probably, I can't say for sure. Um, but uh, And then Zach Johnson, who to me is is probably looked like the uh, most raw, I'll be, I'll be nice, the most raw player on the <laughs> entire 80-man roster so far. The depth just isn't there. Let me put it that way.
2: Yeah, I think that's an understatement, certainly. And, you know, I think every team goes through this depth issue this time of year. If you take any star player on any team and say, take him away, what do they do? And a lot of teams are probably in panic mode and their season's over. But the way the Packers have constructed their offensive line depth and some of the depth at other positions, this is really roster negligence, in my opinion. And it's been since 2016 that they haven't been able to get through a full season with each tackle. That's in 2016, they each played 1,200 snaps and hasn't happened each of the last three years. So it's a position that you know the depth is going to be tested and you better be ready. Now, they made a bad move a couple years ago trading up for Jason Spriggs, and that's okay, that happens. But losing Brian Bulaga and since March only signing, you know, a journeyman stopgap and Rick Wagner and drafting a guard tackle, John Runyon, To go with all those other undrafted free agents. I mean, that's really concerning and a bit of personnel negligence on that offensive line to say, hey, you know what? This team was just in the NFC Championship game. We're loaded at a lot of spots. Let's make sure we're still churning the roster, getting competitive depth behind our stars in case things go wrong. Whether it's Bakhtiari, Bulaga, Rodgers, whoever you know me, Andy, an injury is not an excuse and you need to be prepared for these scenarios. And I just saw all these hired guns, what I call hired gun offensive tackles, which means you could sign them that week and they're ready to play. They're veterans. And that's, you know, Donald Penn, Chris Clark, Marshall Newhouse, Cordy Glenn. And that was Jared Veld here last year coming in off the street and having to play meaningful snaps for the Packers down the stretch. Um, So they could still go out and hire one of those guys or sign one of those guys. It's just a little confusing this whole spring and summer of seeing the depth, seeing the lack of experience and saying, hey, you know what? If Bakhtiari happens to go down or his shoe falls off in a game, what do we have there? Do we feel comfortable and confident? And I'm just not sure at this point.
1: Yeah, with all the talk of you know the Packers need to draft a receiver, draft a receiver, draft a receiver. To me, when I looked at it at uh, you know David Bakhtiari in a contract year, Rick Wagner really hired as a uh, likely a one, maybe two year stopgap at best, and you know he 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 doesn't even have the starting you know tackle job locked up at this point. With how the Packers usually uh, work their draft to try to get somebody a year or maybe two years before they need somebody, um, it just seemed to me like a second or third, maybe even fourth round pick on an offensive tackle was a a foregone conclusion that they were going to at least end up with one of those players at some point. They never did. They get three guards, maybe Um, running could you know you know play some tackle in a pinch, but uh, they really never addressed it, which I'm with you is very very interesting that they never did. Maybe the the players that they wanted just didn't fall. You know certainly we won't know that, but uh, it would seem you know maybe it's good news that uh, Jared Valdir stays out there. I know I believe it was Pete Doherty um, who said that you know there's belief around the league that, and I'm paraphrasing here a little bit that uh, they don't believe Jared Valdir could make it through a full you know season. Well. You know, the goal isn't to have Jared Valdir play a full season. The, the goal is to have him play, you know, four to six games if, if someone were to get hurt as a stopgap, you know, before somebody else hopefully returns from injury. But I, I'm a hundred percent with you. It feels like they need to do something else because right now, especially if if Rick Wagner is not ready to start the season, you know, to go in with Bakhtiari and Turner and then Alex Light is next man up. Um, I'm with you. I think negligence is a good word.
2: You know, it's not fair to always say, well he's our best player. What happens if you take him away? But you kind of have to go through those exercises sometimes, especially with a team that's had a little bit of the injury bug, you know, at major positions, tackle, quarterback, etc. We know it's a physical game. Depth is always going to get tested. You're hoping it doesn't get tested at those marquee cornerstone spots. But I had about 20 tackles last year graded from the second to the seventh round not including John Runyon at all for some reason. Um, but I just thought there was great depth at receiver, great depth at that developmental back-end tackle position. And then for them to walk away with goose eggs in both categories, I just thought that was a little puzzling.
1: Yeah. And like you said, this is something that you could go team by team and star by star throughout the league, but it's really interesting for the Packers, the massive drop-off potentially at some of these positions for some of their stars. Of course, you know, Aaron Rodgers, I love Tim Boyle. We know that, but Rodgers to Boyle, of course, is going to be a (laughs) drop-off. David Bakhtiari to Alex Light is a massive drop-off. Jair Alexander to probably what next corner up. I mean, maybe Josh Jackson or like a Kadar Hallman. Uh, There's a significant drop-off there to the next player up on that list. Kenny Clark I I still I dread if anything were to happen to Kenny uh, across the defensive line we just talk about the lack of depth there Devonte Adams again your, your number one receiver uh, goes to Alan Lazard in that situation <laughs> so yeah it, it's it goes without saying that if any team loses one of their top you know five or six players it's going to be a major problem but for Green Bay the next man up in some of those situations is kind of scary to think about
2: yeah absolutely and you know working with closely with the Philadelphia Eagles the past couple of years I mean we won a Super Bowl without our quarterback without our left tackle I mean the four 49ers last year had to survive without both tackles for about half the season so this is something competitive teams have to fight through and just circles back to the conversation about what you do with draft draft capital moving forward to the future of your franchise or are you just are you spiting the recent future for you know the long-term future and could you have surrounded Aaron Rodgers with more offensive line depth or receiver depth or more weapons, and trying to protect his position and his success by surrounding him rather than looking at the future of that position. And obviously, that conversation can go on and on.
1: Yeah, I always go back to Ron Wolf saying that his biggest regret was not getting far more weapons. It seemed uh, Ted Thompson was kind of dead set on making sure that that wasn't the case early on with Aaron Rodgers and surrounding him with weapons. And then, um, you know, kind of towards the end and, and more recent. They have, uh, obviously, one of the best receivers in the league in Devontae Adams, so it's not like they're uh, the New York Jets' current receiver depth chart here in Green Bay, but uh, certainly still lacking for some weapons overall. Let, let's talk a little bit more about that. I didn't
2: know Ron Wolf said that. I'm glad he did, because I uh, I tend to agree, and I, I never heard that sentiment from him.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping I'm not making that up, but <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a million percent sure that I heard that at some point throughout my life, but uh, I'll see if I can get a... Uh, source on that at some point but i mean you uh, have to
2: look at that 95 96 team of the packers too and the injuries they had at major positions and signing guys off the street and you know getting andre Ryzen out there and throwing passes of don Beebe, who shouldn't <laughs> have been a you know a focal point of that offense it's really interesting to look back at that
1: no and then there was the year where bill schrader was their their top right yeah <laughs> well, yeah so. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that depth, though. I want to talk a little bit about Jordan Love and his 2020 expectations and impact. For me, right now, just watching him at camp, let's not even talk about, you know, Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers. Right now, Jordan Love is far behind Tim Boyle at this point for the, the second quarterback position. One, because Boyle has looked really, really good. Uh, this well, Andy,
2: let me cut you off for a second. Let's yeah, turn the tables here. So, I don't know if it was LeFleur or Gutekunst uh, in the last day or two said, I feel confident we could win games with Tim Boyle. Yep. I don't know if you heard that quote. Oh, I heard. What, what, what makes you – like, what's your immediate response to hearing the confidence in the backup quarterback? Is that just team speak and kind of playing the PR waves? Or do they really feel like Tim Boyle can win games? Because that creates a lot more questions about – addressing that position again with your first-round draft capital if you felt confident you had a quarterback that you could win games with?
1: So um, I'm going to answer this in a couple different ways, but I don't want to drag this too much into a philosophical draft conversation. But my thought with Jordan Love, uh, before I kind of get to the Tim Boyle part, my thought with Jordan Love is that I believe they just had a massive grade on him and that it got to the point in the draft where they – they loved what they saw on tape. They believed that this was a, um, a Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson type talent, maybe not right away, but maybe two or three years down the road. And they just didn't even care that they had Aaron Rodgers and Tim Boyle or whoever else on the roster. That the grade was so high that they were going to take him, even if they had to trade up with the fourth round pick, even if he wasn't going to play for a few seasons, they just believed in their board and they believed that uh, philosophically, it's better to have as many great quarterbacks as possible. I think that's what happened. Um, As far as to answer your question, and I'm going to try to answer this without being too much of a Tim Boyle uh, truther here, but... Um, I've said for the last couple of years, I've been impressed with him from day one. I think that they do believe that they can win games with him. I don't think it's happenstance that, you know, they traded away uh, Brett Hundley two years ago uh, to be able to keep him on the roster. They trade away Deshaun Kaiser last year so that they can make him the number two. And now it looks like he's going to beat out Jordan Love in the third straight year uh, to become the backup quarterback this year. He's looked incredibly sharp. Aaron Nagler said this uh, just a couple, I think it was yesterday, actually, that it, it's been a very Matt Hasselbeck-like Uh, transition for Tim Boyle who has just looked like he's he's taken on the part extremely well you'll still see him just miss you know some easy throws from time to time but outside of that um he's looked sharp, he knows the offense, great arm, super confident. Um, I- I've loved what I've seen and he's really cut down on the turnover worthy plays. I think there's only been one throw that I've seen out of him throughout the entirety of camp so far, where he kinda threw completely across the field, kinda into coverage. Mercifully it fell incomplete, but he's really cut down on that as well.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm in the Ron Wolf camp as well, to always churn the back of the quarterback roster, draft one every year, but it gets to be a different conversation when you're spending a first-round pick on that player. Yep. Ron Wolf was very much a day three, always grab a quarterback. And I just do not see any scenario where Jordan Love is going to be active in 2020, which just makes me concerned that he's going to go through that redshirt year like a lot of young quarterbacks do. But with a competitive team like this to just completely redshirt your first-round pick and not have any contribution from a player that – you know, could have created some waves at tackle or receiver or wherever else. Like we've seen impact rookies come in right away and have some ripple effects. So just say kind of a pit in your stomach to uh, not know or to assume you're not going to get any production out of your first round pick.
1: So let me, uh, I'll, I'll expound upon it a little bit. Let me, I just want you, you, I want you to put your GM hat on for a second. So let's say you have Patrick Mahomes in his prime. And uh, you have a grade on Jordan. Well, let's just say Jordan Love, but it could be any quarterback that's through the roof, and you think he's going to be the next Patrick Mahomes. If you were, you know, picking in the middle to end of round one. Patrick Mahomes in his prime, knowing that this next draft pick probably never sees the field, would you feel comfortable trusting your board and trusting your instincts just saying, you know what, we want the next great quarterback, regardless of what we have on our roster right now, because it's the most, posit- most important position in all of sports? Or are you more on the flip side saying, you know what, uh, this guy's not going to see the field. He may be great, but I'm not willing to take the chance because he's not going to see the field in best case scenario anyway.
2: Well, we're going to find out really quick what the organization thinks about Aaron Rodgers' future. Yeah. Because if we want to compare this to the Patrick Mahomes-Alex Smith redshirt year, that was through and through Patrick Mahomes' team after that year. yep, And that's where I think the conversation differs with this Packers team, is that people think Aaron Rodgers has a couple years left with this green and gold, maybe a couple more. His contract says it, his ability says it, his intent says it. So that's where the kind of philosophical conversation, you know, really hits the wall. And just saying, that's okay if Jordan loves the future, but are we ready for the future already?
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think that's been the the big point of contention for a lot of people throughout this offseason. And now that Boyle's playing well, and as as you mentioned, Brian Gudekins mentions that they feel they can win with Tim Boyle. It it, it just you know, makes that conversation that much more interesting, which I think is a great point that you brought up. All right, let's uh, get out of here in a minute. Before we do so, though, I do want to talk a little bit of Tyler Irvin. I would love to talk a lot of Tyler Irvin, like a lot, a lot of Tyler Irvin. <laughs> uh, but as you know, uh, the, the Packers have limited uh, some of the things that we are allowed to talk about. So I'm just going to more go off of what you've seen out of Tyler Irvin and how the Packers used him last year and how maybe he could be used this upcoming season.
2: Well, in my player profile, the first word I have written down is positionless. Call him a slot receiver, a running back, a returner, a scat back. He can do a lot of things. He's an undersized weapon. He's an undersized gadget. And that's really what he was at San Jose State, returner, kind of a perimeter back, satellite back, catch the ball out of the backfield. Same thing with the Houston Texans. And it seemed like they can never carve out an every down roll for him. he show up occasionally on third down as a pass catcher, occasionally in the slot running routes down the field but other than that he was really just a returner for the Texans I think he has a lot more upside with a creative offense like LaFleur has been using him in finding ways to not only make him a you know a fixture of the offense but a decoy as well and just somebody that to get very creative usage out of which we really haven't had in this Packers offense and I can't even think of the last player that really emulates Tyler Irvin's skill set
1: no, I'm I'm there with you, and
2: I'm really trying to think right now, Andy. Who's somebody Randall similar Cobb, to
1: an extent? I yeah, mean, I
2: guess that's fair. Yeah, that's fair.
1: Yeah, so I think Randall Cobb to some extent, but you know, one thing I can say about Tyler Irvin, if you go back to last year, you know, when he lined up in the slot, I thought. Personally, he kind of looked like a running back lining up in the slot. Maybe he wasn't the most dynamic route runner. One thing you can tell he's worked on a lot this offseason is his breaks in and out of his routes and becoming a better route runner so that he can be a little bit more dynamic in that type of situation. So that's what has me very excited is I think he's just become even more versatile as this offseason's kind of gone along.
2: Yeah, and there's no secret. They're looking to throw the ball to the backs out of the backfield, something that really hasn't been in Green Bay since those early among green years. So it's just great to see them involve Aaron Jones in that first year in LaFleur's scheme. And you know they want to get A.J. Dillon in open space in the screen game. They're going to keep getting Aaron Jones down the field. And Tyler Irvin is kind of that X factor that could take some roles from maybe Jamal Williams. Same thing with A.J. Dillon. People projecting and maybe taking a couple snaps from Jamal Williams away. But – At the very least, that's a stable of really three and four interesting running backs.
1: Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch, and I do like – You know, they didn't get a lot of the high-end weapons, but I'm really excited to see how Matt LaFleur is able to use some of the Tyler Irvins, bringing back EQ, Josiah Deguara, A.J. Dillon, how they use Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. He's got a lot of different pieces. Maybe, you know, it's still, of course, the high-end players in Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones, but I'm just kind of really interested in seeing how they use some of those other pieces. And especially now with, you know, Jay Sternberg or Robert Tanyan maybe taking a step in the right direction. I I like the
2: weapons out there and my point heading into 2020, really quick on the ending note here. Andy yeah I hope Aaron Rodgers throws 10 plus interceptions next year this year I I want him to let it rip I'm sick of the holding the tentativeness I love the fact he's letting this thing loose in camp throwing a couple more picks because the whole Aurora around Aaron Rodgers is great statistics great interception percentage but like we always say you can't grade the throws he doesn't make His unwillingness to pull the trigger has just driven me crazy over the past three and four years. I want to see him let that thing loose. Never leave the pocket in 2020. Distribute the ball and let that thing rip.
1: The, the, the interesting thing is, is all you have to do is watch his free plays when he doesn't care whether there's an interception or not. And he is just such an assassin at putting the, you know, the perfect touch and throwing receivers open in those situations. And I, I would love, and I don't care whether it's, you know, three years from now and it's not in green Bay. I just hope that at some point he just goes out and realizes, you know what, he's going to play probably what, you know, 16, 18, 20 years in, in the NFL, whatever it ends up being, take one of those seasons and just say, you know what, What screw it? I'm just gonna try to throw every ball that I can, throw receivers open. If I throw a couple big, you know, picks, whatever, just put a little bit of Brett Favre in him for one season. Let that
2: thing go, is what I'm saying. You know, and then you can play into your 40s and nobody's thinking twice. I mean, the Indianapolis Colts just signed a 38 year old quarterback to survive this season. The Bucks signed Tom Brady, Big Ben's old, Drew Brees is old. There's all these aging quarterbacks or these teams haven't looked to the future yet. If Aaron Rodgers plays well, nobody's thinking about the future.
1: Yep. I'm right there with you. I hope that's the case as well. Ben, fantastic as always. I'm so excited to get to do this with you every other week. Any final thoughts before we get out of here and where can we follow you on Twitter?
2: You can follow me at Twitter over at, at Ben Fennell, underscore NFL. It's F-E-N-N-E-L-L underscore NFL. And um, yeah, hoping to, pick things up with ESPN college football shortly now that we have a couple conferences still alive and I'll be back with the Philadelphia Eagles and their media department this season as well. And hopefully back over with NFL network uh, heading into combine and draft season. So a lot of things going on. It's going to be a weird season, certainly, but uh, certainly we'll have your Packers coverage.
1: Awesome stuff. We have you covered every day, 365 days a year, here at the Pack a Day podcast. Ben Fennel every other week. Practices have started. Games start in about three weeks. We are ready to go. Make sure you are following us on Twitter at Pack a Day Podcast. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. That does it for us today. For Ben Fennell, I'm Andy Herman. As always, go pack go. <music>